Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Ephesians 4, so we're looking this umbrella, what does it look like to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received? Uh, we don't, uh, Paul at this point hasn't really explained what that life is. We've gotten a few indications. He's talked about how we relate to one another, unity and the, the oneness of the body. Last week we talked about the diversity of gifts, those five major gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. We said that we're, each one of us is bent in one of those five directions, and that's your gift to the body. You as that is your gift to the body. That's how all of us working together, that's what builds up the body as each one of us does our work. That QR code on the screen behind me, if you weren't here last week, click through that link, and there's some resources there that'll help you determine which of those five you, in fact, are. And again, our contention is that you're one of them. You may not think so, but we think so. And we think Jesus thinks so. And that's what's really important. So we want you to click through, discern, discover which of those five you are, and then begin to start operating that gift. And you can reach out uh, to any member of our staff if you have any questions about how exactly to do that. Okay, so today the shift is from how we interact with one another to really our personal lives. Not private. Very little about following Jesus is private. But there is a, a, some of it is personal, and that's what we'll be looking at Today, verse 17, so I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We'll pause there. So two ways of life, or two walks of life, whichever way you want to think about that. One, walk in a manner worthy of the callings you've received. That's verse 1, chapter 4. Verse 17, the walk of the Gentiles, or the way of life that the that the Gentiles lead. Those are, all, those are the only two options. There's only two roads. We either live this life that's worthy of the calling that we've received or we live this life that's not in keeping with the ways of the Gentiles. Again, Paul doesn't necessarily describe what that life is yet, uh, the, the life uh, that Jesus is calling us to, but we will see that over the course of the next few weeks. He does describe this Gentile way of life, this Gentile direction at this point. And there's five terms that he uses. One is futile thinking. So this way of life that the Gentiles uh, live, it's characterized by futile thinking. Vain, empty, aimless thoughts about God and life. It's characterized by uh, a lack of sensitivity or by a spiritual numbness. It's a medical term. It means to lose all feelings. So think about that applied to your heart, being spiritually numb, unable to be uh, convicted, uh, not feeling guilt or shame around sin. There's a, a place in Jeremiah where Jeremiah is, he's, he's kind of railing on God's people at that point because their hearts have become so desensitized to the voice of God. And he says, y'all don't even know how to blush anymore. You've forgotten how. 
that's losing all sensitivity. And then these other three words, sensuality, when we hear that word, we tend to think kind of things in the sexual arena, which can be true, uh, but this is broader than that. It's really referring to life without limits, life with no boundaries, life without any sense of, of restraint, life without fences, basically saying I can do whatever I want to do. And then that leads to impurity, and that's exactly what you think it is. That's moral filth and uncleanliness. And then he says, and in in, in your life is full of greed, uh, this insatiable desire for more, kind of fill in the blank, more anything, more money, more popularity, more power, more, uh, more relationships, more whatever it is, more fun, just more, more, more. Not, not, it's the opposite of being content. It's this, again, this deep drive for more. And Paul says this the way of life of the Gentiles is characterized by those five things aimless, empty, wandering thoughts about God that don't lead anywhere, a hard heart, or excuse me, a, a heart that's numb to the voice of God, a life without any boundaries, without any constraints, no line that you can't cross, no such thing as too much or over the top, a life marked by every kind of impurity, of uncleanliness sinfulness, and a life that's full of greed, this constant desire for more. That's, what that, that's, that's the Gentile way of life contrasted with living a way of life that's uh, in keeping with the calling that we've received. And Paul says, here's how, here's how you get there. Here's the steps, the, the entryway, the, the first few steps along this path of the Gentile way of life. The first thing we do is we harden our hearts. And this is the only intentional choice that we make. Everything else follows naturally from this intentional choice. So we make a deliberate choice to ignore the voice of God, to resist the leading of the Holy Spirit, to close our eyes to the light that we've received, to plug our ears to the truth that is being revealed to us. So that's hardening our hearts. It's, it's resisting, rejecting, ignoring the voice of God to us. And that's a deliberate and intentional choice. And if we make that choice, what follows from that is ignorance, which makes sense. I'm not talking about someone who is stupid. I'm talking about spiritual ignorance. It makes sense that if we've shut ourselves off, if we've hardened our hearts to the truth that God is trying to reveal, well, then the only thing left is to be spiritually ignorant. If you shut yourself off to spiritual truth, that's, that's the only thing left is spiritual ignorance or spiritual darkness. And then from that, again, flows very naturally a darkened understanding. You've closed yourself off to light, so what you get is dark and, and being separated from the life of God. You're walking this path that the Gentiles walk, so that's going to cause you to separate farther and farther from the life of God. And if you've separated yourself from the life of God, God who is uh, in his character whose love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, if, you're cut, you've, if you've separated yourself from that kind of life, then the only kind of life that's left are futile thoughts, spiritual numbness, life without any sense of restraint or boundaries, all kinds of moral filthiness and constantly wanting more, never being content with what you have. It's a pretty bleak picture. But Paul says, you were taught a different way. However, you were taught a different way of life when we taught you about Jesus and we taught you about him. Again, he doesn't describe the life yet. We'll, we'll see that in the next few weeks. But he does say there, there's an option for you. There's an alternative. There is another path. 
And he does tell us how to begin to engage that. He says, this is what it looks like to move off of this path that the Gentiles are walking and to move on this path that Jesus has marked out for you. Then this is three things. He says, y'all were taught these three things. In regard to your former way of life, your former self, your former way of life, he says, put that off. It's like the the word there is like uh, changing clothes. Take off your dirty clothes. Take off all of that stuff. That, that old self of yours, that's being corrupted by deceitful desires. So get rid of it. Deceitful desires, just a little bit of a tangent. We live in this world of, you know, be who you are, be you, be true to yourself. There's not a recognition there that ourselves are deceitful. If I am who I am, you're not going to like me very much. Who I am apart from Jesus is a jerk. And honestly, probably same for you too. There, there's this, we're, we're missing the fact that our hearts and our desires, they are deceitful. They lead us astray. They lead us away from life with a capital L. And even in the places where our desires are good, the way that we go about fulfilling them apart from Jesus is wicked. The desire for companionship is good. I think that's God-given. It's not good to be alone. That's not necessarily about being married or single. That's about having deep relationships. Think about all of the ways that we try to fill that good desire that are, all, that are, that are twisted and bankrupt and, wicked and evil. I'm gonna, I get so tired of listening to people say to me, but I found my soulmate. And so I'm going to divorce this one that I've committed to. Let me tell you how little God cares about your soulmate. I can't express how little he cares. It's about zero. You've made a commitment before him and other people to say, I'm with you until one of us dies. You having an emotional connection to somebody else is completely irrelevant. Completely irrelevant. It doesn't matter. The desire for connection, that is God-given. But, there's a, but, but divorcing your spouse in order to fulfill that desire is a sin. The desire to take care of yourself and your family, I think that's responsible. That there's, there's, that, that's mature. I think that's, that's a sign of growth in us. And again, taking responsibility. Hoarding everything that we have. That's sinful. So even when our desires are moving in the right direction, the way that we contend to fulfill those desires often is twisted and bent and wicked. We need to recognize that former way of life. It's being corrupted by our deceitful desires. And even though many of us, we've taken off, we've taken off those dirty clothes, there's still this temptation to put them back on again. And then Paul says, I want you to be made new. In the attitude, or your Bible may say, in the spirit of your mind. We'll come back to that. And then he says, put on the new self, which is made to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This new self, that's, that, that's, that's the new clothes that we want to put on. So putting off old clothes, putting on new clothes, those are one-time acts. Paul is assuming that the Ephesians have done that. He's saying, this is how you were taught. And I think what he would say is, this is what I taught you. This is, this, these are the things that you learn from me and the guys like me. This is conversion. 
Putting off the old self, that's repentance. That's turning away from this way of life, getting off this path of the Gentiles. That's what repentance is. That's our work. And then putting on this new self, that's the new birth or the new creation. That's God's work. That's being forgiven of our sins. That's receiving a new heart. That's the law being written on our heart. It's the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling within us. So that's conversion, putting off the old, putting on the new. That's a one-time deal. But this being made new in our minds, that's something that happens on a regular basis. That's ongoing action. So I I know many of you, and you've done that. You've taken off the old and you've put on the new. You've repented of your sins and you've been born again. And, And even though that is true for us, and we'll see as we get deeper into Ephesians, even though it's true for many of the people that Paul was writing to, there's still this temptation to put back on our dirty clothes again. Even though our old self has been crucified with Jesus, sometimes it just doesn't stay dead. It continues to call out to us, to tempt us. Again, and those, those desires that we have, they're corrupt and they're deceitful. So a couple of things for us to think about. There's an implicit command that's a negative, something to not do. And there's an explicit command that's a positive, something that we're, that we're told to do. And, and that's what I want us to focus on. Again, we'll talk about this new way of life over the next few weeks. But for now, it's these initial steps, moving off of this path onto this path and staying on this path. So the, 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 the path of the Gentiles, it begins with hardening our hearts. That's the only intentional choice. Everything else follows naturally from that. So what we want to do is not harden our hearts. That's the implicit command. If hardening our hearts is, leads to vain thoughts and a seared conscience and sensuality and impurity and greed, well, how do I avoid that? Well, I don't harden my heart in the first place. Three times in Ephesians, we're told, or excuse me, in Hebrews, we're told when you hear the voice of God, don't harden your hearts like your ancestors did in the wilderness. Do not do that. Think about the parable of the soils. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus tells a parable about the conditions, these, these possible conditions of the human heart. It's this, the, this continuum. The human heart, it's, it looks like this, these different types of ground. The first one is ground that's hard. It's like the floor that your feet are on. It's a path. It's the street. And when uh, a farmer scatters seed and it lands on something that hard, the seed doesn't take root. It can't. And the birds come and take it away. That's the idea of having a hard heart. When, when truth comes, it bounces off. It doesn't stick. It doesn't take root because our hearts have become calloused and, and hardened to the truth. There's a New Testament principle. When it comes to truth, use it or lose it. Luke 8, 18. Be careful how you listen. Those who have will be given more. Those who have a little, even what they have will be taken away. Truth is not given to us for us to file away. It's given to us so that we'll, we'll obey it. We'll assimilate. We'll incorporate that truth into our life. If we're not doing that, that is hardening our hearts. So even knowing things here in our brains, if we're not actively living those things out, that is hardening our hearts. God is not interested in how much we know. He's interested in how much we obey. And so there's got to be a place for us to recognize, even as someone who's taken off the old and put on the new, I'm still tempted to harden my heart in certain areas of my life. And so are you. We want to be aware of that. That's what leads us down this bad road. That leads to ignorance. And that leads to darkened understanding. And eventually, unfortunately, it leads to being separated from the life of God. We don't want to do that. So I want to keep a heart that's soft, that yields, that's sensitive 
to the voice of God, to the revelation of God, the light of God, the truth of God. And I think you want to do the same thing. It's easy to follow the Holy Spirit when he's going in the direction that you want to go. That's easy. It's difficult when he wants you to go in a direction you don't want to go or when he, he forbids you from going in a direction that you do want to go. I want to be happy. And as long as he wants me to be happy, we're great. But once he wants me to be holy and my holiness conflicts with my happiness, well, that's when we have a problem. And I got to choose in that moment. What am I going to do? Not hardening your heart. It's an in-the-moment choice. This is the way that's before me, yes or no. Which way am I, what, what am I going to pick in that moment? We can certainly ask the Holy Spirit to help us, and he will, but he will not choose for us. He won't do that. God is looking for us to mature as sons and daughters, and he will help us, give us massive grace and mercy. But the choice, he's not going to make us choose. That's coercion. That's not obedience. And so what I would encourage you to do is just, I, I try to do this. I try to practice choosing against myself. Small things that don't matter a ton. Small acts of love and kindness, especially when I don't want to do it. That's when it matters. When I feel like it, that's easy. It's when I don't. I try to think, of, all right, what does it look like for me to be kind or loving in this moment when I don't want to? What I'm doing is I'm practicing denying myself. I'm learning how to say no to myself, to say no to my desires, so that when there actually is a decision that matters, it's not the first time I've had to say no to myself. Because if, if that's the first time, I'm probably going to fail. So my little, the, the one that is in my mind always, this happens multiple times a week because we have a lot of kids. I sit down and I just want to rest. And the stupid dryer goes off. Ding, 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 ding. And I'm like, oh my gosh. They'll be fine till tomorrow. It doesn't, it's just t-shirts. It doesn't matter if they're wrinkly. Get up and fold the clothes. Choose against yourself. Isn't that so silly? Some of you are like, you want a gold star for folding the laundry? Like that's, that's a thing? I'm a guy. It's a big deal. Get up and fold. She wants to rest too. So get up and fold the clothes, even though you don't want to. All you want to do is sit there. That's so small. That's training. That's how much I'm in tra training wheels for me still. still. Denying myself. Doing something kind when I don't feel like doing something kind. I'm learning how to deny myself so that when something really is big, I've got some training in that. I've got some practice. My will has been strengthened to say yes to the Holy Spirit and no to my flesh. And it matters because there will be times when it really does matter. It doesn't matter if the clothes are wrinkly. It doesn't. But it does matter when somebody walks by who's not my wife, who's attractive, or who tells me all of the, tells me how great I am, or whatever those things are. Am I going to deny myself then as well? If I haven't been practicing, maybe not. Don't harden your hearts. Second thing, positive command, and it's explicit. Be made new in the attitude or in the spirit of your mind. So this is a passive construction. So what that means, it's something that's done to us. I don't renew my mind. My mind is renewed. So you may say, well, if it's something that's done to me, do I have to do anything? 
I just kind of sit here and God's going to rework everything in my mind. I don't think so. It is his work, but we do cooperate with him. And I think there's two things that we can do that cooperate with the renewal of our mind. And again, as opposed to taking off the old and putting on the new, well, that's one time you're saved once. It's a one-time event of repentance and new birth. Being made new, that's a continual action. That's something, our minds being made new is, is something that happens on a regular basis. So the first thing I would say is take your thoughts captive. That's from 2 Corinthians 10. Think about what you think about. That seems weird. Think about what you think about. Most of us, we've got these, uh, we get autoplay going in our minds. And we just go. Three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. We have these ruts, mental ruts, and we just run in, these sa- in the same directions. For some of us, our mental rut, it runs to these hypothetical worst-case scenarios. For some, it's these scenarios where we get to be a hero and everybody thinks we're great. For some, it's about success and, and us coming out on top and showing everybody else how great we are and they were wrong about us. I don't know what your mental ruts are. Sometimes they're about other people, about how bad they are. But those, that, that autoplay in our mind is not helpful. To capture your thoughts or to take your thoughts captive, it's simply to think about what you're thinking about. To catch yourself. Whoa, the train has left this station and I need to make sure that it's going in a direction that's actually healthy and holy. Do you ever think about what you're thinking about? A.W. Tozer, the most important thing about anybody what you, is what we think about when we think about God. That's a great place to start. What are my thoughts about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do they align with what the Bible says, who the Bible says he is? Am I using the Bible as a plumb line regarding my thoughts about Father, Son, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Think, what, what about what you think about yourself, what you think about other people? Are those things aligned with the Word? Begin to take your thoughts captive. And again, just the initial step, just being aware of. Think about what you're thinking about. And then apply it to that Philippians 4.8. Don't dwell on thoughts that don't meet that criteria. If it's not pure, if it's not noble, if it's not lovely, if it's not admirable, if it's not right, if it's not excellent, if it's not praiseworthy, then don't dwell on it. You're not responsible for the thoughts that ping in and ping out, but you are responsible for the things you grab onto and dwell on. And you are responsible for the autoplay. Those are things that we're responsible for. And so if those things don't meet that criteria that you see behind me on the screen, cut it loose. God, I need grace in this moment. to. I don't want to dwell. I don't want to think about this person in this way. I don't want to think about this situation in this way. I don't want to think about my future or my past in this way. It's not pure. It's not right. It's not admirable. It's not praiseworthy. It's not excellent. So I'm letting it go. Take your thoughts captive. Think about what you're thinking about. And anything that doesn't meet that Philippians 4.8 criteria, don't dwell on it. Now, again, a bit of a side note, but maybe helpful. The things that we're ingesting, those things form our thoughts. Not completely, but in large part. And so some of us need to maybe step back and take stock of what we're putting into our hearts and minds in the first place. If it's stuff that in general 
is not pure and not noble and not lovely and not right and not admirable and not excellent and not praiseworthy, then it's going to be pretty difficult for us to think those thoughts along those lines. If nothing that we're bringing in meets that criteria, then it's going to be pretty hard for that stuff to come out. And so you may need to rethink some of what you're dwelling on and focusing on. It'll help you long term. You know, it's kind of like your physical diet. You know, that, that little thing all the trainers say, you can't outrun a bad diet. And there's truth there. And some is it's the same with our thoughts. Like, you, if everything that we're bringing in is trash, it's going to be really difficult to not dwell on trash. And so I would just encourage you in that way as well. So this is how I want us to close. We've got some time. We're going to have, Bo's going to come back, and he's going to lead us in a time of ministry. We'll have prayer teams up here. We'll pray with you about anything at all that you have going on. This altar will be open if you want to come and kneel or stand and uh, be by yourself. We'd encourage you to do that as well. But two things, you can go ahead and close your eyes if you're willing to do so. Two things I want you thinking about and maybe asking the Lord if you're willing. First, Holy Spirit, would you show me where I'm hardening my heart? Where am I resisting your voice? When you think about that way of life as the Gentiles, it's easy to write that off as uh, reckless and wild and to say, I'm not doing that. I'm in bed every night at 10 o'clock and, you know, I'm responsible and I pay my bills and realize that there's an American version of that. Think about that word sensuality in terms of living without boundaries. It is embedded in our ethos as a country. Nobody's a boss of us. Nobody's going to tell us what to do. That's a core part of our identity. And we need to recognize that. God, where am I hardening my heart to your voice? Think about that idea of greed. Our economy, in large part, is built on people buying things they don't need with money they don't have. Again, I don't want to live anywhere else, and I'll take our problems and the way we deal with our problems over anybody else. We want to be honest about the water that we're swimming in and recognize that this, this life of the Gentile, this other way of living, it's not foreign to us. It's not somewhere out there or somewhere back there. Just because you're not wild doesn't mean that you're not tempted in these ways to to resist, to harden your heart to the voice of God. And we all are. So Holy Spirit, where is it? Is it in a relationship, someone that you know you need to forgive, but you don't want to. You want them to pay. They haven't apologized, so they don't deserve forgiveness. That's the reason it's called forgiveness. It's called nobody deserves it. Holy Spirit, where am I resisting you? Would you help me? Give me grace to say yes, to yield to you, to deny myself. You're still going to have to make the choice. 
but he'll help you. Second, what about your thoughts? Is your mind being made new? And ask him, Holy Spirit, is my mind being made new? I know that's what you want to do. That's your work. Am I making it more difficult? I was thinking about, for some of you, it's your past. It continues to be brought before you. And the enemy uses it to condemn you and to shut you down and to kind of twist you up. If that's you, let's take those thoughts captive. Let's think about what we're thinking about. What does it mean for those sins that you're thinking about to be blotted out? That's the word in Isaiah, blotted out. What does it mean for those sins to be removed from you as far as the east is from the west? What does it mean for God to say, I see your sins, I remember your sins no more? For some of you, it's your future. When you think about the future, you get all stirred up. You either get really, really angry because you feel like it's out of control and the, the, the direction of the country, whatever in the world that means, is going in a, it's not going the way you think it should. And so you get really angry. For some of you, it's fear takes root. What would it look like for you to take those thoughts captive about the future? Trust the Lord. Be faithful today. Acknowledge his sovereignty. Holy Spirit, would you show each one of us, pray this if you would, where am I hardening my heart towards you? Where am I not having my mind renewed? And then if the, if the Lord has stirred something in your heart, we just encourage you to respond, to come forward and receive prayer. It's not stuff that you have to figure out on your own. We'd love to stand with you, pray with you. Ask the Lord to meet you and encourage you. It's nothing to be embarrassed about or ashamed about. We're all growing and maturing and learning. So don't miss an opportunity to allow the body to support you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 